I sure love you. Glad to be with you today. We're in Acts chapter 19, going through the book of Acts. Acts is one of the 66 books of our Bible. It's in the New Testament. It's the fifth book of the New Testament. Of course, you have your New Testament was uh, 27 books written after Jesus goes back to heaven. And the first book is Matthew, and it speaks of Jesus as the king. Mark, he's the servant, and you'll see him busy and immediately and right away. He was in going places and helping people. In Luke, he's man. Uh, he gives his mother's lineage there in the book of Luke and how, how that Mary on his man's side and on his uh, John was his deity, that he is God. So Matthew, king, Mark, servant, Luke, man, and John, he's God. In the book of Acts, Jesus goes back to heaven. It's the history of the early church. It's kind of uh, tells us a little bit how that the church was came to formation. I believe Jesus was the first pastor and the disciples were the first congregation, but they were empowered with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, it's important that I go so I can send my spirit into you. Jesus, while he was on the earth, he was limited to one body. And uh, yet for you and I to have the Holy Spirit, he said it would, be, it would be most important for him to go so his spirit can dwell in each of us the moment we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. In Acts, Acts chapter 19, we'll find a little bit about this information. But in, in Ephesians chapter 1, the Bible says when we hear the gospel, we believe that only Jesus can save us and we receive the gift of eternal life instantaneously we have the Holy Spirit on the inside who seals us. And he comes in, and once he comes in, he never leaves. He can be grieved. He is a, he's not an it. He is a person. He can be grieved with our sin, with our attitude, with our actions, with our music, with our entertainment. He can be grieved with our, with the, with our associations. But though he may be grieved, he never leaves. He says, if he comes into us, he'll be with us forever. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Lo, I am with you always. The reason he said that is because the Spirit of God is now on the inside of us. That's why I'm not going to hell. I deserve to go to hell. I deserve to go to hell yesterday. I deserve to spend the eons of eternity separated from God in the lake of fire. But I'm not going to have that happen. And the reason I'm not going to have that happen is because there was a moment of time when I put my faith in Jesus Christ to forgive my sin and to save me. At that moment, God took my sin and I took his son. And when I took his son, I also got his spirit. Now, God the Father lives in heaven. God the Son is in heaven. But God's spirit is in me and in you if you're saved. If you're here and you're not saved, he's on the outside of you wanting to come in. And we'll find some people today that in the story here that we read just a moment ago, the Apostle Paul has now picked up on his third missionary journey. The first time he takes Barnabas and they begin to go about the, uh, the, 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 the extensions of the world. They went to Galatia and some other places. We saw that in recent days. Then on the second missionary journey, he goes out with Silas and they pick up Timothy and uh, they do a worldwide trip, 2,800 uh, uh, 2, miles, one of the largest ones. And the third missionary journey, he goes, uh, looks like he leaves and uh, goes by himself initially, and then other people come and go throughout his missionary journey. But now he finds himself in Ephesus. 
Now, Ephesus is a place that he wanted to go initially, and the Holy Spirit told him, no, you can't go into Asia right now. But Ephesus was key, and it was one of the major cities in the Roman Empire at that time. And there were lots of other smaller cities around it, like uh, Philadelphia, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Laodicea, Hierapolis, Colossae. These were other towns. Have you ever heard any of those names before? Yeah, those are names of the seven churches in, uh, in the book of the Revelation. But the hub of that was the city of Ephesus. It was one of the major cities in the Roman Empire. It had the great temple to Diana, a very pagan, wicked goddess of fertility, and, and a lot of filth was there, but a lot of people made a lot of money making arts and, 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 uh, and little uh, of silver and things of that nature, and people would come the world over to purchase a souvenir from Ephesus. It was a very wicked Wicked place at the at the same time, very known. It put Ephesus on the map, if you will, and nonetheless, Paul now arrives into Ephesus. He had stopped by there briefly on his way back on the second missionary journey, but he just came for a few days and witnessed in the temp, in the synagogue. And now he's gone back to Jerusalem, back up to Antioch, and now he arrives back in Ephesus. Aquila and Priscilla had moved there and stayed there in that town, and they had instructed a fellow named Apollos. We learned about him in chapter 18. Apollos was a surrendered, gifted, eloquent preacher, but he had only had the baptism of John as his instruction. And so, uh, just a quick explanation of that for those of you who are Bible students. John the Baptist preceded the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. While Jesus was still in the carpenter shop, Working in somewhat of a, in a hidden place, John, his cousin, six months older, had come to prepare uh, the way for him to be the Messiah. And John was uh, someone who, when he would preach, he would say, the Messiah is coming. It's time for you to repent of sins and turn and be prepared for the Messiah. He's coming. If they believe that, they would baptize, they would be baptized, submit to baptism, and John would baptize in them. But the people being baptized did not know who the Messiah was as of yet. They did not know. Jesus had not died. He had not been buried. He had not rose again. But one day, John did point out that that was the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. But some folks heard John preach, and they went out to all the world. No doubt, Apollos was one of those people. And remember Aquila and Priscilla, precious couples that loved the Lord. They were not preachers. They were, not, they were faithful laymen who worked in, in tent making. But they instructed this potential servant of Christ. And boy, he became a fireball for the Lord once he got, uh, got uh, corrected in those ways. Well, Paul goes back and he comes back to the Ephesus. At this time, Apollos is over in Corinth in southern Greece instructing and working in one of the churches that Paul had started. Now, Paul comes to Ephesus, and when he comes there, Apollos is gone, and he runs into 12 men, Jewish men, we assume and believe that to be the case. They're Jewish men, and he begins to talk to them, and he finds out that they had heard of the Messiah. They had been baptized under the doctrine of John the Baptist. Maybe not John, but it was probably maybe Apollos had instructed them. And they had heard the truth the Messiah was coming, but they had not yet accepted. They had believed of the Messiah, but they had not yet received 
the Spirit of God. I'm fearful there are people in this room like that. If the Lord came back today, you'd still be sitting here. You've got a head knowledge. You'll go to hell over about the distance from your head to your heart. And I'm not here to scare anybody, but you know that and God knows that. I don't know that. One of the saddest things that comes to my mind, and this week I had a little bit of a dream about it, is just thinking about going through heaven and not finding people I expected to be there. People that I went to church with, that I served with, I heard them sing, I saw them play in the instruments, I I saw them operate in different ministries, and maybe later, a thousand years later, they'll say, Lord, Lord, didn't we work and serve and do all these mighty things? They have, a, they have a belief, like I can believe this chair will hold me up. I can say, I believe that chair. And there are many people who say, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. I believe he paid for our sins. But they never personally came over and put their faith in him. And I think there are some people, and I tell you, it doesn't matter if you're a Baptist. It doesn't matter if you've been baptized. These people have been baptized. Well, baptistry waters do not wash away sin. Faith in only in the person of Jesus Christ. And I can't determine that for you. But I'll tell you one thing. There's not a thing in the world worth going to hell over. Including pride. Well, if I did that, everybody knows I'm saved. It doesn't matter if everybody knows. You know it. And if anybody be in Christ, he's a new creature. God begins to work on the inside and... Nothing more frustrating than living the Christian life without Christ. Living the Christian life without the Holy Spirit of God on the inside of you. And I plead with you, friend, I don't think I'm the only one talking to you. I think the Spirit of God's been talking. Some of you, you're precious mothers. And you're not going to spend eternity in heaven. You know it. But you're embarrassed to, to, uh, to admit it. You're leaning upon a little story or a little experience here or there, but in your heart of hearts, you know that the Holy Spirit's on the outside. He's not on the inside. This grievous. That's why God brought Paul to Ephesus. His first converts were 12 men. Let's look at the Bible. It says, if we can, please. And he says there, and after the uproar, this, I'm sorry, that's chapter 20. Let's go to 19. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and uh, finding certain disciples. These people were disciplined followers. And he said to them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, we have not so much as have heard where there be in Holy Ghost. So he said, have you received the Holy Spirit when you believe? You say you're believers, you're disciples. Have you received the Holy Ghost? And they said, we're not sure about that. We've not even heard there is a Holy Ghost. Once again, they had not been, they had been given the fact that Jesus was coming, but they didn't know that he had come. And so they did not know. Now, they probably knew the Old Testament, which spoke about the Holy Spirit of God descending on people like Samson and, and upon Gideon and so forth and so on. And, and the Spirit of God, and he said, you know, David said, take not thy Holy Spirit from me and restore unto me the joy of my salvation, things of that nature. But they didn't know, they didn't know what he was talking about. And Paul put his finger on something. You guys are followers. You're disciplined. You're trying to follow, but, but I don't sense the Holy Spirit. Have you received the Spirit of God? 
Let's look at the next verse. The Bible tells us in verse number three, and he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said unto him, John's baptism, speaking of John the Baptist. He said, What's the doctrine we heard? Then said Paul, John verily baptized with baptism repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him that should come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. So he says, he says look, uh, when John baptized, you were, you, were, you were repenting of your sins, acknowledging that the Messiah was coming. By the way, there is, uh, there is a repentance, a turning, I think one of the things that you want to make sure, if you're a soul winner, you don't whitewash sin. Sin has to be dealt with. I was witnessing to a man recently. And uh, one of the things I I wanted to reiterate, because he was self-righteous. He said, well, I've done a lot of things. I've I've paid penance, and I give to the church, and I've done these. And he told me all the things that he felt like. "I I know I'm a sinner, but I'm not really bad. And one of the things I think is important for soul winners to do is to learn the Ten Commandments. Because the law of the Lord is perfect. What does it do? It shows the sinner he's in trouble. The Bible says the law is our schoolmaster to show us that we need Jesus. And I, I, I went through the gospel of this man. And at the end of it, I, I, I think he would have gladly prayed a prayer. But I don't think he was ready to be saved. He was still very satisfied with his works. And his religion and the things that he had done. You know, the Bible tells us here that there is a a need to recognize sin before you need there's a Savior. You know, sometimes people say, well, you don't want to go to hell, do you? Well, just pray this prayer. No, 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 I don't think it's that easy. I think it's easy to go to heaven. God has to do all the work. But there has to be an understanding of why I need to be forgiven. There needs to be an understanding about sin. Sin, the law came, and sin became exceeding sinful. I don't think you have to earn your way to heaven. The only way to go to heaven, the only way to have sins forgiven. But sin is the main problem, and it should never be brushed over. It should never be excused and say, well, you know, oh, yeah, we're all sinners. Okay, what's the next thing? Okay, now pray. I think it's very important. Paul said, look, John explained to you that you needed a sin. You had a sin problem. And you are baptized in repentance of your sin. However, that's, that's the problem. The cure is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. He points them to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. When they heard that, the Bible tells us what happened. Let's look, if we can, please, at the Scriptures. And when they heard this, verse 5, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus this is a beautiful, he's spoken of Jesus. When they heard it, they received it. And when Paul, and by the way, this is a little bit of a challenge here because sometimes there are a group of people that believe in the oneness of Jesus. They believe that Jesus, um, they believe in, they call it the Jesus only movement. And some, some folks believe that. They, they, they refute the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I don't know how you could read the Bible and ignore those three things. There is only one God, but he is in three persons, God the Father. And he is a soul of God, God the Spirit, the Spirit of God, and God the Son. He's the body of God. Just like you and I were made in his image. You have a body that we recognize, and you recognize me based upon my, my physical attributes. I recognize you. But I don't really see the real soul of you. That's invisible. I don't see your spirit. That's invisible. 
And the same is true with God the Father and God the Spirit. But the, 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 the way we recognize God, he is, Jesus is the image of God. He's the image of God. And, and, of course, Jesus taught people to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is identifying with the person of Jesus Christ. But some folks will go to town on this particular verse and say, now you've got to be baptized only in the name of Jesus and not in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I think it is implied here in this passage of Scripture. Let's continue on if we can, please. The Bible says in verse number 6, And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Ghost came to them. And they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about twelve. Here's another thing that oftentimes is taken to, I think, some false teaching. But this is the third and the final time that anybody speaks in tongues in the book of Acts. The first time would be the day of Pentecost. The second time when Peter wins Cornelius, the Gentile believers, to Christ. And the third time is right here with these 12 converts who are Jewish men. Now let me just say this here quickly. According to the Bible, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the Bible teaches that tongues was a sign gift. It's a miracle. Okay? It, it would be a miracle today if Pastor Wilkerson got up here and started speaking in Japanese. Okay? I know a little Spanish. I know a little sign language. I know nothing Japanese, except for little egg rolls or maybe a sushi or something like that. But if I got up here and began to speak or read or, or proclaim something in Japanese, I'll tell you what it would be. It would be a miracle. Because I don't even have a starting point. And you know, the miracle is, is the gift of, of the ability to not only speak, but also to be understood in a language that you know, but that you don't know, but someone else knows to be able to hear the gospel. It's not jibber-jabbers. It's not, it's not just hocus-pocus. It is something the Spirit of God gave, and it's not given to everybody. Everybody does not have that gift. And I believe if you'll look further in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, you'll find that the Bible tells us that, there, that tongues will cease. Prophecies and knowledge, there are three gifts that were given specifically to the church before the New Testament was formed. Aren't you glad you can take your Bible this morning and turn to Acts? The early church could not do that. We couldn't say, turn to Ephesians or the book of the Revelation or Matthew or Mark or Luke or John. They didn't have the Bible as we know it. So during that time, after Jesus goes back to heaven, until the scriptures are canonized and brought into place, God gave special gifts for that season to people who would prophesy. And would proclaim. It would be like if we, were, if we didn't have a Bible and we were in the early church, it would not be a common at all for several things to happen. One, and uh, one would be someone saying, Pastor, uh, Pastor has a prophecy today. Well, prophecy doesn't mean I'm telling your future. It means I'm proclaiming what God said. There would also be someone who would say they'd have the gift of knowledge. They would be able to verify that that truly came from God. Because sometimes you would get into a church service and, and they, would get, they would be excited. Well, this person did, said, and I think they would get up and say things that we already know in the Bible. Something like, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. 
And people said, amen, that's good. That's, that's got to be from God. Husbands, love your wife and be not bitter against them. Boy, a husband said, yeah, that's right, boy. I've got to work on that one right there. And someone would say, is that, is that true? Is that from the Lord? They would say, yeah, that's from the Lord. But sometimes people would pop up and say, I, gotta, I, gotta, I got something I think I've got to say to the church. And they would get up and say something, and someone would say, hmm, false prophet, <laughs> not from God. But to now, he said when the church was young, he was spake like a child. He understood like a child. He thought as a child. But when he grew up, he put away childish things. Tongues, prophecies, and knowledge, those things would be in part while we wait for the word of God. I believe that God is done talking. He's given us everything we need to know in the word of God, and his spirit will use the word of God in our lives. However, there's another concept, and that is the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, in 22, 20 through 24, that the Jews particularly required a sign. Jewish people had been waiting for many years for the Messiah. So now they're saying the Messiah is Jesus. And they say, well, you know, they've been saying for years, there have been all kinds of crackpot messiahs have come for a long time. But a miracle would confirm that he is really the Messiah. You remember the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at nighttime and he says, Teacher, Rabbi, we know that you are really from God. Why do we know that? Because no man can do these miracles that thou doest unless God's with them. Whenever you see tongues in the Bible, and that would be a miraculous gift for them to speak in a tongue or a language that they don't know, you'll know this, a Jew is present. A Jewish is present because they needed to have that confirmation. All 12 of these men, I believe, were Jewish. And then Paul, to affirm He's the apostle born out of due time. It's interesting. The, at the Pentecost, that's where they spoke in tongues. In Acts chapter 10, when Peter first witnesses to a Gentile person, those people spoke in tongues. And whenever they did speak in that miraculous language, it was confirmation to the Jewish people, this is really from God. And then here again here, under the ministry of Apostle Paul, in a very significant place, Ephesus, as we study more in this chapter, we'll see that God did a deep work in the city of this wicked pagan city, that he would stay there for three years and work very diligently giving the gospel of Christ, even rented or acquired a, a building every day in the school of Tyrannus. Some people believe that Tyrannus, he was known in Rome as a very famous doctor, and he had a medical school in Rome, and he had one potentially right in Ephesus as well, one of the great Roman cities. But they say that during the time, and that this is, may not be exactly true, this is just things that, that, we, that we have gathered, but from 11 o'clock till 3 o'clock in the day, it was the hottest times of the day, that would be the time that Austin Paul would go in there, and every day he would teach people the Word of God. And he would train people in the things of God. And from that time, day and night, and you'll read about it when you read in Acts chapter 20 when Paul comes through and he meets all the pastors he had trained in, in Ephesus. He tells them, you know how it was with me. 
lying in wait for the Jews, how that daytime and nighttime, publicly and house to house, I did not, I kept back nothing that was profitable to you. I taught you. And he finds these situations with these folks, these 12 men, accept, they accept the truth of Jesus as Messiah, and the Spirit of God now is, comes upon them, and they're saved. Let's look at the next two verses, and we'll conclude today. Verse number 8. And he went to the synagogue. After these men got saved, he now has the help of them, and they go into the synagogue and speak boldly for the space of about three months, disputing or showing and persuading things concerning the kingdom of God. Would you look at verse number 9? But when divers, or some, were what? Hardened. And they believed not. They spake evil this way before the multitudes and departed from them and separated the disciples departing and daily in the school of one Tyrannus. He was teaching there in this place. And he continued by the space of two years... It would stay three years total, but he continued by for three years, so that they that uh, that that uh, they that dwell in Asia, everyone there heard the word of God uh, and the Lord Jesus, both the Jews and the Greeks. There's a wonderful stories, and I'm not doing a good job with my time this morning, but let me just share with you a couple thoughts to consider. Number one, people can believe here and not believe here. Please do not be that person. Make sure that you understand salvation. A person must believe in their heart. That Jesus died, he was buried and rose again. And then they must confess with their mouth. They must call on the name of the Lord. I hope you've done that. If you haven't done that, let's, set that, let's get that settled. Let's don't go to hell from here. Make sure you get that settled. I find also that after you get saved, these people got baptized. They've already been baptized. Sometimes people get saved and I say, well, you need to get baptized. They say, oh, no, I've already done that. Well, these people had two. But after they got saved, biblically, then they followed the Lord in baptism. I think that's an important thing. Some of you, you've been saved, but you have not. You're dragging your feet on baptism. Don't do that. You need to identify. That would be like someone getting married and don't want to wear their wedding, when they can't, wedding band when they can. Embarrassed? Like, are you embarrassed about your spouse? God wants to see you identify with him. He said, whosoever believeth on Jesus should not be ashamed. If you've been saved, follow the Lord in baptism. Well, I got baptized before. Get baptized after you have believed and accept that. Then I find also that it's important that we continue to take and, and be a help like these 12 men and don't be someone whose heart is hardened. He said, and divers, and some of people's, their heart was hardened. Now, I don't know, I know that when witnessing to people, some people seem to get soft like wax that melts in the sun. Some people get hard like clay that hardens in the sun. I don't know about you, but I want to be somebody who has a tender heart. I don't want to be hardened. When I hear the word hardened in the Bible, I just like, oh, man, I want to be wherever that isn't. The Bible says, be kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another. And I think some folks, you're just as saved as the Apostle Paul, but your heart's hard. You know it. Your kids know it. Your family knows it. Your neighbors know it. You're not a tender person. And you need to get close to the Lord Jesus Christ and let him tenderize your heart. If you've got someone you're holding a grudge against, stop it. Release it. Forgive it. The same way that Christ has forgiven you, forgive somebody else. 
No one's ever hurt us as bad as we've hurt Jesus. Keep a tender heart. Don't be in a hardened group when you can be in a helping group. 